You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right, well, good morning, Midtown Church. It's been said already, but I'll say it again. Happy New Year, and uh, cheers to you guys. Y'all are the faithful. I think when I taught two weeks ago, it was during the World Cup was actually taking place, and so we knew you were really faithful if you were here, and now you're here on New Year's Day, which means you're the faithful of the faithful. So really glad that you're here. Um, Hope that you guys had a great time with your family, and it looks like there might even be some family that are here, and so those of you who are visiting family and joining your, your family for church worship this morning. We're really glad that you're here and hope that you experience God's love for you this morning. Uh, since I don't know some of you all, to introduce myself, my name is Justin. I serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown. And so this morning, we're going to continue our sermon series. We've been looking at what's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's the last conversations and the instruction that Jesus gave his disciples on the night that he was going to be betrayed when they went up into an upper room and had this conversation. And Jesus was giving them some very important last words. Primarily, he was telling them he was no longer going to be with them but he was going to send his spirit to be with them. And so he talked a lot for the, with them for the first time about the Holy Spirit, what they could expect that even though Jesus himself was physically gone, Jesus would still be present with them through the power of the spirit that he was going to be sending them. And so today we're going to, need to look at a passage that now he starts to make the transition to talk about how do we tap into both the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so Jimmy's going to read our passage for us this morning. And I'd ask you guys, as we do as our tradition, if you're able just to stand in honor of God's word, and Jimmy's going to read our passage this morning. Jesus spoke the following. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you hear, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. John 15, one through eight, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen, thanks, Jimmy. And thank you, guys. Well, it's the first day of a new year, so it's often the time when you start thinking about resolutions, right? Whether you do so formally or informally, it's kind of a time where you assess your life and maybe think about some resolutions. Anybody into that? It's okay if you're not. I'm going to make you think about it today. So <laughs> that's what we're going to talk about. But what I thought first, just to get some inspiration this week, I was thinking, I want to go to Google, friendly Google, and find out what some of the best New Year's resolutions might be. And here, here's some that I came up with. Here's some that I found. I resolve to work on my low self-esteem, but I don't think I can do it. I resolve to save money for a rainy day 
That way I can shop online instead of having to actually go to a store. I resolve to be more assertive. Is, is that okay with you guys? I resolve to overcome my OCD. I resolve to overcome my OCD. I resolve to overcome my OCD. I resolve uh, to assume full res responsibility for my actions, except the, the ones that are someone else's fault. I reserve no longer to waste my time reliving the past. Instead, I'm going to spend it worrying about the future. Or I resolve to read more, or at least turn on subtitles when binge watching TV. Or I resolve to live my best life and only buy pants with buttons and no zippers. Huh. Maybe not the best ones that we would want, right? But wanted to get you laughing a little bit this morning. As you think about, though, this next few year, we, we typically do use this time to think about changes that we want to make in our life, right? And typically those might revolve like around health. So you're thinking like, you know, fitness or exercise or weight or diet, something like that. Or sometimes our goals actually are more like in the financial realm or thinking about how we want to get out of debt or save or, or how we want to spend our money differently in the next year. Or really a big one's time. Like you're thinking about time, like what things do I resolve to do more of or less of in this next year? All of those are great things, great things to assess and for us to say, this really is in a way that I'd like to change in the next year. But I think one of the things that we don't do very often that we ought to do more often is actually look at our character. Think about like who we actually want to become in the next year, not necessarily things that we do. All those things are okay. The health, the, the finances, uh, the time, that's all part of it. But what if we were just to think, like, what is an area of my life where I really want to see God change who I am? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And I think that's passage that Jesus speaks to us today, helps us understand how we can change. And so if you can now, I'll give you just a second. Can you identify something right away? Does something come to mind right away? Yeah, here's, a, here's an area I'd like to grow. Well, if nothing does come to mind right away, I'm trusting that in this next 30 minutes here, that God will bring something to the surface that you will identify like, yeah, this is an area where I want to see God grow. And I want you also to believe that you can change. That what Jesus teaches us here in a moment, he's teaching us how we can change, that it's possible to remain in the vine and then bear much fruit to see our life and our character change. That's what Jesus is going to explain in this passage. And so I want you to hold on to that hope, try to identify an area of your life, and let's see how this teaching about how we can tap into the Spirit can help us. First, I want to give a little bit of context. If you're with us, we didn't have a Sunday on Christmas, but Sunday the 18th, we looked at the very end of chapter 4. And you all remember what the last words were at the end of chapter 14, rather, chapter 14? Jesus had just talked to them, and his last words were, come now, let us leave. And so I told you that week that there's actually some debate within scholars, you know, as to what they think really happened, because you've got three more chapters of the Upper Room Discourse after he says, come now, let us leave. And so there's kind of one camp that says it was like one of those things, like when you say, let's leave, and then all of a sudden another conversation starts, and you never really left. So they actually stayed in the room the whole time. Have you done Have you done that before? Happened to me last night when I was trying to leave a New Year's Eve party. I was like, I got to go. And then like 30 minutes later, I got to go. Maybe that was really what happened, and they stayed in that upper room. But it's also very possible, and there's another set of scholars that believe that this was actually Jesus walking on, down from the Mount of Olives toward the Garden of Gethsemane, where we know he is in John chapter 17. And it could be very likely that he was actually walking with them and, and demonstrating and talking to them as they were making this walk, which I'd like you to think that that's true. I'm not saying one way is true or the other, and it really doesn't matter because the Jesus teaching is the same. But what if Jesus was walking on his way down to the garden and he actually sees vines and branches? Whether he just pointed it to them while they walked or whether he actually stood there and said, hey, come gather around. I want to teach you how you can grow and how you can produce fruit in your life. Either way, Jesus is making this illustration that is very helpful for us to think through like what it looks like for us to grow in Christ. Let's look real quickly at the, the casting call because there's three casting characters here, right? 
I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am the vine and you are the branches. So we got the casting call pretty quickly ordered, right? Jesus is the vine, the father is the gardener, and we are the branches. What's unique though to Jesus using this illustration, whether he is pointing to a real vine or trying to hearken back to something that the disciples likely would have known, is this was a very common illustration multiple times throughout the Old Testament. God speaks to Israel, speaks to his people as if they're a vineyard. Most famously, actually, in Isaiah chapter 5, when Isaiah is writing like in the voice of God, singing over his people, and he's singing over them like they're a vineyard. And he says, I, I loved you guys. I cared for you. I was trying to produce fruit in you. I was working with you. But then sadly, the voice of God says, but, but you guys became desolate, and you didn't produce fruit. And you see that God is actually, the song turns into a mourning song over his people. And so very, very likely Jesus could have been looking directly at some vines and branches, or he was reckoning them back, or maybe it was both to say, you guys get this illustration. Like God, the father is passionate about you. He loves you. He wants to till the soil of your heart and develop you and grow you. But will you have, what will you do with it? This imagery was familiar to them. And the first thing that Jesus teaches, point number one, if you're taking notes, is that the source is, is the vine. And the vine, we already said, is Jesus. We read verses one through six again. I'm the true vine, and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Very clearly, Jesus is saying, I'm the source. Like he's trying to tell them, I am your spiritual source of life. This Holy Spirit that I'm going to send is going to be your spiritual source of life. Without him, you can do nothing. So much that he would actually repeat it multiple times. No branch can produce fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. You cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You get the point? It's very clearly saying, if you want to see your life change, if you want to see this area that you may be identified already this morning, if you want to see that character change, you have to abide or remain in the vine. And I want you to believe that you can't do it in yourself. Like that's the starting point to say, I can't do this by myself. Like if I want to see this character change in me, there's nothing that I can do. My task is just to remain in the vine and remain with Jesus, which we'll talk more in a moment about what that means. But remember that the whole teaching that he's done in this upper room is he's preparing them for his physical departure and promising his spiritual presence is going to be with them through the power of the spirit. So what Jesus is teaching them now is how they can actually tap into both the presence and the power of Jesus to change their lives. Notice one other thing too. He doesn't only say that you cannot produce fruit without him. He also says, you can't help but produce fruit when you're with him, right? Did you catch that? If you remain in me and my words that remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Like Jesus knew this was to be true, that if you remain connected to the vine, he will do the changing. You will if you remain connected to him. But those that don't are the ones that turn into the branches that we see throughout the passage was cut off because they didn't remain connected to the vine. They were thrown away and discarded. There's been lots of uh, debate as to kind of what this means. Were these actually unbelievers that are kind of represented in the branches that are broken off? Some have said, well, maybe these are Christians that just don't produce fruit, or maybe they're Christians that, that later turned from their faith. I'm not honestly positive, but I have a direction that I think, and I, and I believe it because I base it on all that you see through the book of John. 
Uh, John, compared to most of the other gospels, is really unique, and it presents multiple times where people are debating about who Jesus is, just constantly trying to decide from, from one of the earliest episodes when Nicodemus sneaks away to see Jesus in the middle of the night, and we don't know at the end of it. Like, that's where Jesus said, you know, uh, that, that he came to give life, and whoever believes in me has eternal life, and we don't know whether Nicodemus believed or not. The night just ends. But then at the very end of the Gospel of John, we see that Nicodemus is actually part of helping bury Jesus. So we get maybe a clue that maybe he did believe. Or there's multiple times where people are debating in the temple when Jesus is teaching about who is he? Who do you think that he is? Who do you think that he is? Or most famously, when he multiplies the five, feeds the 5,000, then this whole crowd of people come to him. But he sees through their arterial motives. And so he tells them that in order to follow me, you have to eat my blood or drink my blood and eat my flesh. And it says at that time, a lot of people that were following him decided they didn't want to do it anymore. And so they just went their own way. They, they got to a point and they realized, nope, I don't want to do it. If you remember famously, that's when Jesus says to his disciples, like, well, are you going to leave too? And then Peter says, no, we're convinced that you have the words of life and that you are the Messiah. So they believed. So throughout the gospels, and then particularly if you want to get specific to this passage and one before it, in John chapter 10, Jesus does an illustration of calling himself the good shepherd. And he says of the shepherd that all the people, all his sheep know his voice. And he says, none of the sheep can be plucked from the father's hands. And then very specifically in the passage that we just looked at in the upper room discourse, you could just look at Judas as the prime example. Jesus, Judas had followed Jesus all this time, yet in the chapter, a few chapters ago in the upper room discourse, he was dismissed to go do what he's going to do to betray Jesus. And then at the very end, which we'll get there in chapter 17, at the very end of the upper room discourse, when the disciples overhear Jesus praying, one of the things that he prays is he says, Father, I've not, I've not lost any of the ones that you gave me except for the one that was doomed to destruction. So Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew which people wouldn't and which ones would follow him. So that's what I believe, that these weren't like believers as branches. These were the people that ultimately didn't follow Jesus. And those who stick with him are the ones that produce fruit. There's one other reason why I believe it. There's a, there's a one little phrase here that Jesus says before he goes into this illustration fully. He says, you guys are already clean. What's interesting is he said that actually two chapters later, the same night when he was rossing the disciples' feet, he said this, you are already clean, though not every one of you, for he knew there was one that was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. He knew that there was one that was not. And now here, later on, the same conversation on the same night, in the same illustration of the vine and the branches, he says, you're already clean because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me and I also remain in you. So for a second time this night, I believe what Jesus is trying to do before he starts to tell them what I would call the process of how you can start to bear fruit, he first wants to remind them of the position that they have in him. Positionally, they're clean. So this bearing fruit is not what makes them pure, does not make them right with God. They're already clean because of what Jesus was going to do for them. And same is true for us. When we put our faith in Jesus, at that moment, we're, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've been made clean. And that's our position in Christ for the rest of eternity. And ultimately, we, we will be made to be just like Christ. But that's our position. There's also a process, a way that God actually grows us in this life to become more like him and to see our character change. And that's what Jesus is heading on right here. You're already clean. That's your position. But now I want to tell you a process by which you can mature and grow in your character. And the first thing is to remember that the only way you can grow is through Jesus. He's the source. The second thing, and the only command that we see in this passage, is the second thing is a command. Remain. Remain in me, well, verse 4, and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain 
and me, I will, um, and I and you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in, into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Pretty repetitive, right? <laughs> in fact, 11 times in this, this passage, they use this Greek word meno, which just means to remain or to stay. Some of your Bibles use the word abide. It's, it just means to stay with, just to stay connected, like be with. In fact, I love that uh, that John repeats this so many times, much more times than the rest of the gospel. It's appeared 40 times in the gospel, but in John, it appears 20, uh, 27, 40 times in his gospel, and then 27 times in the epistles that he wrote the churches. And when you read the epistles, you get a sense about maybe this conversation really, really stuck with John. Because this whole idea of like remaining is something he repeats time and time again. Like, I think he's thinking back to Jesus, perhaps physically holding these vines and branches and explaining how this works to see your character changed, how to produce fruit. Let me read just a couple of verses from 1 John so you get an idea how much this impacted the Apostle John. Uh, verse 3, 24 in, his, in 1 John says, uh, the one who keeps the commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Similarly, in John 4, uh, 1 John 4, 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. That same word, the, the meno word, the remain word, is what he now translates in this, this passage, live in him. Like when you live in him, when you stay connected, when you remain, when you're connected with him. And he rose now, having experienced the presence of the spirit that Jesus promised. Now he's writing about it later in retrospect, realizing the promises of Jesus and saying, this is the key. Like if we live in him and how do we live in him? Both of these passages, we know it by the spirit that he gave us. He's given us his spirit. And so for John, union with the Holy Spirit was of vital importance. And he would meno, meno, meno throughout his life, carrying the same message, like remain in him, only in union with the spirit. Can you grow? Because only in Christ can you grow. So our job is simply to remain in the source of life. The apostles after him continue to use similar words. I think about the apostle Paul who would say, I've died and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Or really Paul's illustration or metaphor that he used was this idea of like walking in the spirit or keeping in step with the spirit. For instance, in Galatians 5, he says this. So I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But the fruit of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. And so one of the ways that he was saying that you produce fruit and his analogy was the same thing about remaining or living. He would say, keep in step. Like you've got to walk closely with the spirit. And when you're walking closely with the spirit, you will see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, this character of God developed in your life. So the real question, right, is like, how do we do that? <laughs> like, how do we do that today? Like what, what things can we do to remain connected to the source of spiritual life in Jesus? I've got a Sunday school answer for you. You need to pray and read the Bible. Oh, wow. You came here just to hear that. Just a typical Sunday school answer on January 1st. Yes, there's other things too. There are other things too. But look what Jesus says next in in, in verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This remaining, Jesus equates it with something like remaining in his word, that his words need to remain. And if you remember, and you're going to see it as we continue to go through the upper room discourse, when Jesus talks about the Spirit coming, one of the things he says the Spirit's going to do when he's present in their lives, he's going to remind them of things that Jesus said. And what does it look like to remain? 
it means that we get so familiarized with God's word and we're so constant in our communication and talking with him that we know what to ask for. We know what his will is. We're so in communication with him that we know what his word says. So take, for instance, what if the thing that came to your mind today was that you wanted to grow in peace? Like, yeah, that's a, that's a, a character th thing that I'd really like. In other words, I'd like to uh, have be less anxious. I'd like to be one that worries less. I want the peace of God in my life. So what would that look like when you start to have feelings of worry or fear that come on you? You might remember back to Jesus' words when he taught the disciples, like, look at the birds and look at this, look at the, the grass and the field, look at the birds and see how God cares for them. Don't you know that you're much more valuable than they? Don't you know that if you worry, you're just not adding an hour to your life? Our God will provide for you. You, you would think about those things. Harken back to remember God's word, to, to give yourself his peace. And not only that, you'd pray. You would ask God for peace. You'd ask him to calm your hearts or you just present to him what your anxieties are. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Or say, for instance, you wanted to grow in compassion. Maybe you wanted to become like someone who's a little less judgmental or harsh with other people. You know, when you started having those thoughts of judgment, you might go back to the Sermon on the Mount and think, oh, remember that Jesus taught, do not judge or you'll be judged. Or, or don't look at, you know, the speck in someone else's eye. Look first at the, the log that could be in your own eye. Or you might remember his words, pray for those who persecute you. And so you'd recall his words and you'd pray and you would see God develop that character. Or suppose you wanted to grow in kindness this year. Suppose you wanted to be less irritable or, or less uh, short-tempered. You'll start to feel irritable or angry. Uh, you might have the spirit to bring to mind the words of Jesus when he said, anyone who's angry is subject to ju judgment. And if you have the offense at anyone, go and make restitution with them. You might do what Jesus actually said, where you pray for your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. It's walking in spirit knowing God's word well enough that whenever thing you want to change in your character, the word of God is what comes up, comes up first and bubbles to the top and you have the capacity then to, to walk into that and to pray and ask God to change you. I'll be vulnerable here and share kind of the area that I definitely want to grow in this year. Um, I'd like to become less easily angered and more patient and kind. I know some of you are like, no way, Justin's probably never angry. Uh, no, my wife's here. She <laughs> She can tell you, Otherwise, um, in fact, anger has kind of been a, a long-time battle for me. I grew up in a home where anger was expressed um, just by raising voices. Um, thankfully, not much at each other, but just at situations. So I was like the kid that uh, I've literally punched holes in walls when I was growing up, slammed doors and broke things and uh, punched a hole through one of my drums one time when I was <laughs> throwing down, you know, consoles, you know, for video games when you lose, like terrible. And so really, this has been something that I've seen God continue to work on in my life. And I keep trying to ask God to continue to change me, make me more and more like him, which would be less irritable, more kind, and definitely more patient. Um, I've noticed enough about myself that the two situations where, my, where I get most easily angered are usually two things. And they're probably pretty common for, for where anger comes from. One is uh, like, an un, like a goal that's unblocked. Like I want to get somewhere or do something, but something's hindering me. And I, I'm kind of not getting to what I want. Or I can't get to where I want. So like traffic would be like a perfect example. I'm not a kind driver. <laughs> I need to grow in that. The other one that's maybe a little bit more unique to me is I can't stand like inefficiency. Like if I'm like watching something and it's not working the way that it ought and I have no control over it, I just like start bubbling up. I'm just like, oh, why are y'all doing this way? You're so dumb. Like, let, let me help you. And I just get irritated at my situation and I can't just 
be at peace and, and call upon the peace of God is something I'm, I'm trying to work on in my life. In fact, I have a sad but perfect example that actually happened this year. Um, it's embarrassing, but I'll tell it just to say, hey, I'm in process too. Um, I was taking uh, my friend that has a disability to go renew his uh, placard for his, you know, for when we go out together, we have a little uh, disabled placard, which meant that I had to go to the most inefficient place in human history, the DMV. Now, this is during COVID. I'm going to try to explain this because it's a little hard to, to describe. Some reason during COVID, you didn't make personal appointments. You just had to get in a car and get in line. And so I kind of banked in my head. This is going to take, you know, you know, maybe 30, 45 minutes. We sat in that line for a very long time with a running car with not much to talk about. And I was just, for the whole part of it, I, I knew this was going to be a trial. Like, I've got to be patient. i got to draw upon the peace of God in this situation. Be glad that I'm with my friend. I, I'm telling you, I did it super well for an hour <laughs> until we got to the front of the line. So picture, here's your car and we're in, we're in the front of the line, nearing the front of the line. And then they've got like 10 booths. So, you know, when this car gets permission to go, it gets to go in one of the 10 booths, but some booths had three cars, some had two and some were moving fast and some were taking forever and you never knew which one was which. And so would it make more sense? Like you sit here until one is open instead of having to randomly go to the wrong one, possibly. And so I tried it. <laughs> I was like, this is stupid. I'm not going to get in one of these other lines and, and get stuck in the long one. So I'm just going to stay here waiting. And uh, shortly thereafter, the security guard started pointing. He was probably like way back in the back, like by the wall back there. And he's like, you need to go. And I'm like, no, I'm not going. <laughs> and then he said, just started more like anger gesture. And I rolled in my window and said, this is stupid. You're stupid. And then my, my poor friend was terrified. And he's like, Justin, you're going to get us arrested. And I was like, ah, oh, that was such a wrong thing to do. And I failed. I did so well for like the first hour of it. And I was right, by the way, the line that I got in took like 30 minutes longer than the other one that was right next to me. So I was right. Sad, but terrible example and an area that I need to work on, easily angered. But I'm going to give you a positive thing because God's continuing to grow me in this. Um, maybe in the, may have been that this happened this week because a sermon came to mind, but one of the things that also makes me angry is when I actually have to try to do something with my hands or build something because I'm terrible at it. So uh, we're actually doing some home remodeling at our house right now, and, and, um, and we pay people to do it because I can't do any of it. And so then uh, the one thing I thought I'd do, this is like the bar for me was hanging blinds. Like, I think I can do it. I think I can hang blinds. That's like the, the high bar for me. And so I, I calmly go in there, watch some YouTube videos and go, okay, I think I got this. And I go to put the first screw in and I put the bracket on the backwards, the very first one. I'm like, ah, so then I start to undo the bracket and then the, the screw gets stripped. And I'm like, it's halfway out. I texted Cliff and was like, Cliff, how do you get a, a screw that's like stuck still out? And I calmly just went back and watched a few more videos and I had a lunch appointment. So I'm like, I'm just going to go to lunch and enjoy my lunch with Christopher Yates. And then... I'm going to go to a hardware store, just ask some questions. And the guy said, no, you probably you just need a better bit. Like your bit's probably not sticking. Sure enough, I get home and I've got this bit and I did it all. I got all the all of them done like within about an hour. So yes, yes. But more, more impressive was that I never got angry or I didn't, I shouldn't say that. I got angry, but I didn't display my anger. Mostly, right, Brenda? Mostly. Yeah. <laughs> Far better than normal. But the way that I was able to do that was just to 
to remind myself of, of what God thinks about me. Because sometimes when it happens with that, I just feel like a failure. I'm not good at stuff, but to remind my identity is not whether I can hang blinds or not. And, and that even if I'm not good at something, that's okay. God makes everyone different. He's made me the way that I am and I can be content in who I am. And I could just draw upon the Spirit's power to say, Lord, give me, give me patience in doing this. For me, that was a minor miracle, but, but it happened this week. But you get the idea. Like this is how you grow. This is how you produce fruit. You walk in the spirit. You stay connected to the vine through God's word and through prayer. And as you do, he promises he will produce that fruit in you. Even if you have a long way to go, like I did, to where I am in a certain area now. So what is it for you? What, what did God bring to mind? Whatever he brought to mind, the only way you can do it is provide, know that Jesus is the only source. You have to be reliant upon him. And not only that, all you have to do is remain. And so this new year, if you want to see yourself grow in that area, the, the, the simplest thing I'd command in a Sunday school answer would be to spend time with God. Like spend time in his word, memorize parts of it, pray, ask God to, to make this change in you, be more aware of it. When you do those things, God's going to produce fruit in you and change your character. I'm confident in that. And as much as the fruit itself is the prize, you know, reward for remaining in the vine, there's actually something far greater at play, which is what Jesus says next in John 15, 18. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Like the result of bearing fruit is that it glorifies God. It pleases God. Glorify means just to, to put the spotlight on. It means to make much of it. It's like when you start seeing this fruit in your life, what it does is it brings glory to God because he sees his work in you. And other, not only that, others see his work in you and they glorify God. It's, not what, it's, like, it's like what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and then praise God in heaven. Like when God starts to change us, that brings him glory and it actually helps other people see what he's like because he's seeing their character change within them. This Christmas, um, I asked my mom some questions. Some of y'all know a little bit of my backstory that I came to faith in high school, didn't grow up in a Christian home. And when I was about 14 was when I came to faith. And up to that time, I uh, was really in a phase of my life for about two years after my parents got divorced where I was very disrespectful to my parents I was a big bully and mean guy to my brother, didn't, didn't like my brother at all. And then when I came to faith, that just started changing like instantly. Like that was the first spiritual fruit that started developing in my life. And so I asked my mom when I was over there for Christmas, I said, mom, what do you remember? Like, because you and my, you and my brother, my brother and my mom actually came to faith shortly after I did. And it was largely because they saw God changed me. And I asked him like, what, what did you think? And she said, right away, she didn't bad night. She said, she said, respect honor. She said, all of a sudden you started honoring me and you, you weren't doing that before. And I was like, what, what happened? Like, how, how did this change? That was part of what brought glory to God and, and made my mom consider the claims of Jesus for the first time in her life, because she saw just someone who was disrespectful grow to be an honoring person. When we grow in character, that's a testimony to other people. I asked her that, and she said also that it helped with the way that I began treating my brother, which that one was weird, it like almost instantly when I came to faith, like I, I loved my brother, and I had never before. It was really strange. One of the few miracle fruits, I would say, in my life. Usually fruits take a long time to develop, but something with my brother like changed instantly. And my mom actually went back to her room. I had no idea that she had these. She said, let me let me read you some notes that you wrote me back then. I've saved them and put them in my Bible. So I'll read you, uh, I'll read you a, a couple sentences from probably about a 15-year-old Justin. Mom, I was praying for you today. 
I pray that you would realize God loves you and many other people do too. Then it occurred to me, I could answer my own prayer by telling you that I love you. You may not feel it all the time, but I really do love you. Aw, like son of the son of the year award right there, right? Yeah. <clears throat> what, what you don't know though, is how hard my heart was at the time and the radical change that took place that would, that would rear fruit in my life and then give glory to God as a testimony to my mom who would later come to faith and my brother as well and my dad 18 years after that. That's what Jesus said would happen when he told his disciples, like that people recognize that you're my disciples. Like when they signed up to follow Jesus, it was, we've, we've mentioned this so many times before, but when a rabbi would call disciples to follow them, they, that was their expectation that the rabbi was going to help them learn to be like him. And so that's what Jesus says that happens here. Says, this is my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Like you will become more like me. And when you become more like me, people are going to notice. That's the expectation that Jesus had for his followers is what he has for us. And like Josh already said today, it's why we have, you know, this big goal over here, which we call it really our big prayer in Austin as it is in heaven. And you've heard us say it. We're going to keep saying it. And it's great to say it multiple times that we believe Austin will only become more like heaven as we become more like Jesus. And so it's really as our character changes and God begins to bear fruit in our lives, that's what's going to give us the opportunity to see Austin become more like heaven because we've become more like Jesus. So not only do we get the reward of bearing fruit and seeing our character in our lives and our relationships impacted by it, there's a secondary and even a more amazing reward that it brings glory to God, pleases his heart, and then is a testimony to the world. So I ask you as you think one more time about where you'd like to grow in Christ-likeness this new year, I think not just about what it would do for you, but what would it do for your family? What would it do for the city? What would it do for the nation? That's what Jesus can do when we remain in the vine, change us, and then use us to change the world. As you make growing Christ likeness your aim this year, I want you to remember these three things. I think we have them up on the screen. First is Jesus is the source of spiritual life. We can do nothing without him. Second, remain in the spirit of Jesus through God's word and through prayer. And third, as you do, you'll become more like Jesus and bring glory to God. I'm going to leave these slides up here for us when we take communion to reflect on them, but let me pray for us first before we take communion together. God, in this new year, uh, we, we do want to grow, and we all have much room to grow. There's no, no shame in that. So we bring you our brokenness now and the areas of our lives where we want to grow. And I pray that you would identify them in someone's heart, each person here. And even as they make it a goal to grow in that area, they would do these things. They would know it can't happen apart from you. They would know they need to remain close to you through your word and prayer. And as they do, produce fruit, and the kind of fruit that brings you glory and changes our city. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Thank you.